You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com. Just a a quick reminder um, for the ministries that uh, God has given us as a church. We lean so heavily on year-end giving. So if we can serve you in any way, um, call the office. we can uh, help with anything uh, special. The office will be open right up until December the 31st. We will not be open the week after or the days after Christmas immediately through that holiday. And I want to give you a second word uh, before we begin. And we'll go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2 in your Bible. If you brought one or you have it on your phone, Luke chapter 2. Our Christmas Eve services will take place at 3 o'clock and 4.30, and I would really advise you to get here early because if it's like previous years, it will be jam-packed, and um, we're going to do something a little bit different this year. The Warrior Center is a Christ-centered uh, drug recovery uh, ministry here in the city. There are 80 men at the Warrior Center right now. They don't have coats. They don't have gloves, hats, scarves. Uh, they're in trying to get free and clean. As well, uh, one of the ministries that we support here is called the Church Without Walls. It meets every Wednesday night just out on the streets, uh, actually over on summer beside uh, Home Depot. Right on the street, about 60 or 70 homeless people gather. They're prayed for. They're loved on. They sing. Uh, It's a worship service for the homeless, many of them without coats, scarves, hoodies. So on Christmas Eve, when you come, not only would I ask you to come early, but Invite someone and tell us now that Christmas Eve is the new Easter. Used to be you invited people on Easter and everybody would would come. Now it's Christmas Eve. Most people, they tell us, will likely come to a Christmas Eve service if they go no other time. But when you come, would you bring a a hoodie or bring some coats and gloves and and scarves uh, that we might be able to distribute? And we'll get those immediately, even that evening, uh, to folks at the Warrior Center and to homeless people who will be gathering. So I hope that you will do that. I think it'll be a real joy not only to give glory to God, but to actually give to others as an expression of his goodness to us. I want to tell you three stories uh, to begin. Christine Skillern was a 70-year-old widow in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and she was also insulin dependent, which meant that every day two things have to happen. She's got to eat regularly and she's got to take her insulin. And she lived alone. And like many people who live alone, she didn't enjoy cooking for herself. And one day she put a pan of oatmeal on the electric stove. And the next thing you knew, she was on her back on the floor. She'd slipped and fallen and and couldn't move her legs at all. And she was very frightened and she screamed out. But then she realized the doors are closed, the the windows are locked, and there's a large space between my home and, and other homes. Uh, so what do I, and then she thought, well, I'll call somebody. And so she dragged herself over to a wall phone and took a broom and dislodged the receiver. It fell down, but it was one of those old phones that has a dial on the, on the wall. So all she got was a dial tone, and now she was really scared. And so she prayed, and she said, Lord Jesus, calm my quiet heart. And then she prayed, and please take care of the oatmeal. So... Um, She began to get cold, and she dragged herself into her bedroom, and she couldn't dislodge the blanket from the bed, but there were some clothes on a 
on a chair and she pulled them off and wrapped herself and waited for evening to come. And she spent all night long there wrapped in these clothes and, and praying uh, and quoting scripture. The next morning when dawn broke, uh, she was hungry and her throat was very dry and she was really worried about her insulin uh, and was very scared. And so she just continued to pray and, and quote scripture. At noon, she had this she thought, she had this thought, call somebody. And she said, Lord, I can't use the phone. It doesn't work. Call somebody. And so she just out loud said the name of her sister, Martha, and said the name of some of her lady friends. And then there was a deacon in that church who was actually, from time to time, would come by and visit with her. And she called out, Roy Stanley. Two hours later, the back door crashed in, and Roy Stanley came in. And he said, Christine, what are you doing on the floor? And while they, he called 911, and, and he explained at noon, he was sitting at home talking to his wife, and he had this strong urge to check on Christine Skiller. So he went over to her house, and he went to the front door and knocked, and no one answered, so he turned to walk away. And he said it was like an invisible hand pushed him to the back of the house, to the back door, and he knocked and no one came. And he said, I just, I just broke the door down and, and came in. And so as they're lifting Christine into an ambulance, he said, um, or she said to him, oh, Roy, would you check the oatmeal? And she, he said, well, I did when I came in. And she said, oh, it must be black. He said, no, it's just ready to eat. Apparently someone else was looking after Christine Skiller. In World War II, the British Air Force literally kept that island from invasion by uh, the Germans and defeat. Adele Rogers St. John wrote a book called Tell No Man. And she tells of a celebration after the war where the chief, Air Chief Marshal Hugh Downing was there, the Queen was there, all the dignitaries uh, were there. And the Air Marshal told stories of this small group of pilots who seldom slept and planes that never stopped flying. And he told of airmen who were incapacitated or died, and the planes kept flying, and they kept fighting. And occasionally, he said, pilots would see another figure at the controls. And Air Marshal Hugh Dowding said, I can't prove it, but I believe it was angels. Here's the third story. The Syrian army would often cross the border of Israel and raid towns. The problem was the towns always seemed to be prepared and ready for them. They knew they were coming. And the king of Syria concluded, there is someone in my cabinet who is leaking information to these little towns that were trying to raid. And his staff came back and said, no, there is a prophet named Elisha, and he hears what you say in your bedroom. That's the problem. So the king of Syria sent a huge army to the town where Elisha the prophet lived, and they surrounded the town. 2 Kings 6 says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And his servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So you can imagine this uh, bleary-eyed, sleepy servant going out to the city well in the morning to get some water and happens to look up and sees this huge army all around them, and now he's fully awake. He runs back into Elisha and says, what do we do? Verse 16 of 2 Kings 6, he said to them, he said to him, Elisha said, 
Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Whenever the subject of the supernatural and angels comes up, it's not unusual for people to be skeptical. Put them in the same category as goblins and, I don't know, the Easter bunny. Some people who call themselves Christians even are that way. But people who believe the Bible know that behind this visible, physical world, there is another world that is, is real, but it is unseen, and it is populated, highly populated, by supernatural beings. Angels are real. Demons are real. God is real. Satan is real. And there is this invisible war that has been going on since the beginning of mankind. And you cannot read the Christmas story without seeing angels. If you took angels out of the Christmas story, it would leave these huge gaps. An angel named Gabriel comes to Mary, the young girl, tells her the announcement she's going to have a child even though she's never known a man. The angel Gabriel goes to Zechariah, who's going to be the father of John the Baptist. And when Zechariah doesn't believe the angel, he can't speak until the baby is born. Maybe the same angel goes to Joseph, not once, four different times, the earthly father of Jesus. And I think, I can't prove it, but I think the, the star that the wise men saw was, was really an angel because stars don't go through the sky and stars don't land over one particular place. And I think the shepherds had the best experience of the angels in the Christmas story. So you have your Bible open to Luke chapter 2, and I want to ask you to stand, and I'll read for all of us from verse 8 through verse 15. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. Sometimes we see these pictures on Hallmark cards of these little pudgy baby angels, you know, with halos. Angels are so awesome that typically their first words are, don't be afraid, fear not. So the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. The word host means army, the heavenly army, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. This is God's word, and you can be seated. So we're in a series on Advent, and this year we're talking about joy. And I want to spend a few moments talking about the joy of the angels. I, I want to try to answer three questions. What is an angel? What are they? Who are, what are they? What do they do? And how are we supposed to relate to angels and respond uh, to this idea of angels? So here's the first question. What are angels? What are they? Someone came by this last weekend. They were talking about one of our staff members who helped them with something. And they said, you are an absolute angel. 
And if someone ever calls you an angel, that is a high compliment because angels are magnificent creatures. The Bible is filled with references to angels. Uh, when God led Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus, it was an angel that, that led them. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness at the very beginning of his ministry, he needed strength to recuperate, and the Bible says an angel came to him and strengthened him. There are at least 300 places in the Bible where angels are mentioned. Now, a lot of what we think about angels has more to do with Hollywood and Hallmark cards, and let it be noted, I didn't diss Hallmark movies when I said that, but um, I'm tempted to. Um, but we get a lot of Christian tradition and, and, and Christian art, so what I want to focus on, what does the Bible say about angels? They have many names. We know about Michael, the archangel, the, the head angel who's the special protector of Israel. We know about Gabriel, who brought the message to Mary and to Zechariah, perhaps uh, to Joseph. He's kind of a communicator. Angels are called spirits, heavenly ones, holy ones, ministers, watchers, the host of heaven, uh, mighty ones, the sons of God, princes, the counsel of the Lord. So the Bible teaches God has surrounded himself with an unbelievable number of these creatures, spiritual beings, and they seem to have different levels of authority and different responsibilities, and God loves them, and God presides over them. So where do they come from? Well, when God created the universe, heaven and earth, uh, they were already there watching. In fact, Job 38, 4 says, where, God is speaking to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line up on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So angels watch creation take place. Apparently God wanted an audience. You can just imagine God saying, watch this, boom, there's a galaxy. And the angels are just awestruck because they've never imagined anything like matter, taste, and touch, and sight, and hearing. And they are, they're worshiping God and just awestruck and in wonder. Angels are created by God. Psalm 148, 2 through 5 says, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord. He commanded and they were created. So why did God create angels? For the same reason he created everything, for his glory, for his worship. You say, well, how many angels are there? Well, Revelation 5 mentions 10,000 times 10,000. Okay, all of you who are good in math. How many is 10,000 times 10,000? A lot, yeah. A hundred million. And then the verse goes on to say thousands upon thousands. So a hundred million angels gather at one time and in one place, and then there are many, many thousands uh, beyond that. It's obvious there's more angels than we can possibly count. And notice, God created them as angels. Angels are not recycled dead people. You will never become an angel. I want to repeat that. You will never become an angel. They are a special genre or kind of spiritual being, and we are 
different. Sometimes we watch these television or movies where some guy lives a really nice life and he becomes an angel. No, no, will not happen. But what are they like? Hebrews 1.14 says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So they're spiritual beings. They They don't have bodies. And you say, well, then how do you explain when in the Bible someone sees or talks to an angel? Or we hear these stories of, of, of people, of angels being physically present. The Bible teaches angels can take on physical bodies to accomplish any purpose that God has for them. They may actually appear as ordinary people. That verse says they're ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation, which means they can help us whether we see them or not. You go, well, are there angels here among us this morning? Without question. Most are invisible. Some may be visible. You what? Listen to Hebrews 13.2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So you can imagine reaching heaven, and some angel comes up to you and says, I sat beside you on Christmas Eve, and you didn't smile at me. Or show me hospitality. So who knows? You may be sitting beside someone and you don't know them. You've never seen them before. Who knows? They they may be an angel who is here with us. They're intelligent. They're curious. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 that there are things into which they long to look. They can grow in knowledge. They can communicate. 1 Corinthians 13 speaks of the language of men and of angels. You say, well, can they communicate with me? If God wants them to, they can. They have emotions like we do. In fact, Jesus one time said there's more joy in, joy in heaven among the angels when someone on earth repents than in a hundred people who don't repent. They don't marry. They don't procreate, Matthew 22, 30. Sometimes we see, think of little angel babies. No, there are no angel babies that we know of. They're powerful. How powerful? Well, 2 Kings 19 says one night an angel killed 185,000 enemy soldiers. One angel, 185,000 enemy soldiers. It was an angel who rolled the stone back from the tomb of Jesus. And the scholars tell us that, tomb was, that, that stone was maybe eight feet in diameter and weighed four tons. It was an angel who shut the mouth of the lions when Daniel was thrown in the lion's den. It was a an angel who killed all the firstborn of, Is, of, of Egypt before the exodus took place. When Ruthie and I served as missionaries in the Dominican Republic, we had some close friends, Phil and Darlene Corey, who, kept, who, who had a Christian camp about 40 miles to the south of us. And um, uh, Phil was a missionary as well, and they adopted a little Dominican girl, kind of Leilani's age. One day, Phil got in his pickup, and he, he's backing up and didn't realize his daughter was behind the pickup. And he told me later, he said, I felt the back of the pickup lift up and then sat down. And then we saw his daughter about a week later, and she had some scratches on her face and some tire marks uh, on her face they were able to, 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 to get out. And Phil told me the only explanation I have that I didn't kill my daughter is that an angel lifted the back of the truck. Angels will have no problem with your car. They're incredibly powerful. So let's pull together what we've learned. Angels can do what we can't. Angels can, they know things we don't. They they can go places we can't go. 
There are millions of them. God made them. They can go anywhere instantly. They have this supernatural power. It's no wonder people are interested in angels. So a second question, what do they do? And the best answer, I told John before the first service this morning, the best answer that I have, what do angels do? Whatever God wants them to do. They're, uh, they stand in the presence of God. I'll share three things. They stand in the presence of God and they worship Him. That's their number one job description. They actually see God as He is without any filter or restriction or limitation of sin. They were created to worship. Revelation 5.11 says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And Psalm 148 too says, Praise Him, all you angels. Praise Him, all His heavenly hosts. So what does it mean when, they say, when it says they praise God? What does it mean to praise God? Oh, what does it mean when you praise your child or you praise a grandchild or you see a movie that you really like and you praise that movie? It means to speak well to someone and it, speaks, it means to speak well of someone. It means to speak of how, how someone is, is, is beautiful and they're, they're wonderful and they're, and they're good. And the angels are constantly doing that. You say, wait a minute, if that's what heaven is all about, I mean, I can see myself doing that for a little while, but forever praising God and worshiping? If you love someone, your husband or a wife or a a child or your parents, and there is some event put on to honor the person you love, you're the first one to clap your hands, and you're the first one to stop applauding. And when everybody else is bored stiff, you're still fascinated because the person you love, you're enamored with, is being honored. And the angels are so amazed at God. They're constantly learning new things about God. And because God is infinite, there's always something fresh and new to learn about Him. And they're struck with awe and wonder And it's perpetual adoration of infinite glory. And they just never stop. And so it will be with us in serving him. Here's a second thing angels do. They run errands for God. You see the word angel in the Greek of the New Testament, angelos, and the word angel in the Hebrew of the Old Testament, malach, means messenger. So angels carry messages that God wants to communicate to people. He did that with Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Daniel and Ezekiel and, and many other people. And he did it with someone in my community group. We meet on Wednesday night, and he shared this story, uh, so, and he gave me permission to share it with you. He said, a number of years ago in a waiting room at a local orthopedic clinic, the room was mostly empty. A few minutes later, a lady I did not recognize walked in, sat down right next to me. Instead of leaving a gap between us like most people do, she sat right next to me. She quickly started conversation between us and then told me she thought God had given her a message to give me. She told me, a battle is coming. I shouldn't worry or be afraid because God would give me a victory. I remember the hair on the back of my head, uh, neck standing up. Moments later, I was called in to see the doctor. It was a short appointment. I expected to see her in the waiting room when I came out, but she was gone. I never saw her again. Not long 
after I did, in fact, end up in a significant battle that lasted several years. Throughout, I felt comfort in what she told me, confident that in spite of overwhelming odds, I would eventually find victory. I've often thought of that moment believing he sent me a messenger that day. You say, well, if angels are that helpful, wouldn't it be good to pray to angels and ask them to take a message to God? No, no. There's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. Angels are simply allies and they are helpers. And God tells us in his word, we are to pray directly to him, not through any angel, not through any saint, not through any deceased relative. We're to go directly to him and not to do what he asks is really an insult to him. So we don't pray to angels. We're thankful for them. The sender is always more important than the messenger. Pastors are like angels in a sense because we're of secondary importance. It is God who is most important. And you'll never find an angel in the Bible detracting glory from God, centering attention on himself and making people wonder at how wonderful he is. Angels don't work for us. They work for God. And I guess I emphasize this because we live in a time when people tell us that angels give them an spiritual experience, wonderful experience, non-judgmental, without guilt, and without having to bother with God. One of the great deceptions of our time is perpetuated by stories of angels who tell us that we can approach God without a mediator, without a sacrifice, without blood. What if an angel shows up to you and you just have this unbelievable experience and an angel tells you, if you'll just be a good person and a kind person, that's enough to get to heaven. Well, Paul, the apostle, knew the gullibility of the human heart. Here's what he said. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach, let him be accursed. So angels run errands for God. When they speak it, the message is always consistent with the Bible, but they don't bring us any new insight about God. The Bible tells us what we need to know about God. So angels stand in the presence of God and they, and they worship Him and they run errands for God. Here's the third thing I think angels do, and that is they serve us on God's behalf. One of their primary responsibilities, the Bible says, is ministering to people who know Jesus. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me mention a couple of things. One is they watch us. Angels have seen every major event in the history of humanity. They were there at the Garden of Eden. They were there when Israel was set free from Egypt. Uh, They were there when the Irish came over from, um, from Ireland to America. They were there at the slave trade that was being uh, carried on. They were there at the great reformation of the 16th uh, century. They were, where when, they were there and watching when your parents were born, when you were born, when your grandparents were born. They were aware watching and involved in World War I and World War II. They, they watch. They were there when Jesus was in the garden praying and they were there at the resurrection and they were there when he ascended into heaven. And the Bible says when he returns, he will return with all of the angels with him. They watch. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said, God has put us apostles on display. We've been made a spectacle for the whole universe to angels as well as to human beings. There's this really strange verse that I I don't understand in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul tells women in Corinth 
to put something on their heads, a veil of sorts, as a symbol of submission because of the angels. So apparently, God wants the angels to see order, decorum, in worship services. I visited a man in the hospital. Uh, he was very, very ill. He was lucid when I saw him. Walked in, and we talked a moment, and he said, Pastor, do you believe in angels? I said, yes, I do. And he said, I saw one last night, and I'm skeptical. Oh, really? He said, he sat in that chair, and he watched me all night long. I said, was that creepy? And he said, no. He said, um, I feel great peace. I feel great comfort. That man died that afternoon. Right after the first service, I had person after person after person come up and tell stories of a parent or a grandparent on their deathbed who had some kind of similar experience. And I wonder if the veil between this world and the next gets tissue thin and people have these experiences. I became friends with an old pastor named Don Wright a few years ago. Don ran a little Christian bookstore. And his wife, Christine, uh, sweet people. He was a retired pastor. Christine came down with this very painful cancer. Don called me one day and said, could you come pray for Christine? She's in such pain. I went over to his house and knelt down. I prayed for her. And God, in one of those wonderful moments, heard my prayer. And the pain stopped immediately. Don said, this is, this is just the grace of God. But we became friends. Christine went into the hospital, and I, I got the word Christine has passed away. I went to the hospital uh, that morning, and Don was sitting outside on a chair, and he said, you need to talk to that nurse. So I walked over to the nurse, and I said, were you here when uh, Miss Wright, Mrs. Wright died? She said, you know, it's the strangest thing. This is the, the supervisor of the floor. She said, um, I saw light flashing out of that room and I saw shadows of figures walking around. And I walked down to the room, and nobody was there except Christine. She had passed away. How do you explain that? Angels watch us. And if God desires, they can appear to us. We're not alone. God watches over us. Angels watch us. And they do watch out for us. They protect us. God often orders his angels to guard his children. Psalm 91.11 says, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. This is one of the places that people get the idea of a guardian angel. I don't know if we have one or not. But you find in the Bible supernatural protection, crossing of the Red Sea, and angels protecting the people of Israel, closing the mouth of the lions, leading Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah before fire and brimstone fall. Let me ask you, folks, have you ever had a close call you ever been, have you ever thought, I shouldn't be here. I, sh I shouldn't have escaped that. One of my favorite biographies of missionaries is, is John Patton, who was a Scottish missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific uh, back in the 1800s. Went there, the island was known to be a, 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 a place of cannibals. He says in his autobiography, one night he and his wife were at, in their little house and they heard noises outside and they looked out and there were... Um, it was a tribe of hostile people with torches and spears, and they were going to burn them out and, and kill them. He said they prayed all night long. They had no weapons at all. They prayed all night long. When they got up in the morning, everybody was gone. A year later, John Patton led the chief of that tribe to Christ. He became a Christian. And so he asked him, he said, uh, Chief, 
You remember that night when you attacked? What kept you from burning us out? And the chief said, we were determined to kill you, but when we saw those hundreds of men standing around your house, we were afraid. John Patton said, there were no men. It was just my wife and myself. He said, we saw men standing guard, many men, big men, giants with drawn swords circling the house. And Patton and the chief agreed it was angels. For what it's worth, Ruthie and I had an experience like that in New Mexico. We were driving from Albuquerque to Las Cruces. We left Albuquerque in the evening and hit a blizzard that was unbelievable. There was snow. And if you've been in that area, you know it's very flat. And you can't tell when the snow is falling. You can't tell what's road and what is the fields and the desert beside you. And we heard on the radio they closed the road behind us. What are we going to do? And I'm driving very, very slowly, trying to see through the snow that's falling, and you can't see what's road or not. And an 18-wheeler comes up right behind us, passes us, and like he knows where the road is, and he's going about 45, 50 miles an hour, so we just got in his tracks. And we, we followed him all the way to Truth or Consequences, where the blizzard kind of faded out, pulled off in a McDonald's, and uh, the guy at the, the, the uh, we walked in, he said, did you just come that way? And we said, yes. He said, he said, they closed the road. You're the only car or vehicle we've seen come this way. Ruthie and I, kind of, I don't know if angels drive 18-wheelers or not, but <laughs> <laughs> we kind of think the Lord protected us that, that day. Angels can guide us. Pointed out the ram in the bushes for Abraham. They revealed the future to John in the book of Revelation. You can't read Revelation without seeing angels everywhere. Um, and one, there's one time when an, a, a donkey saw an angel, Balaam's donkey. They encourage us. You read the story of Gideon in the Old Testament, and there's an army that has invaded the land, and they're cruel, the Midianites. And Gideon, one of the leaders, supposedly, is hiding out of fear, and an angel comes to him and says, hail mighty man of God. And he felt like anything but a mighty man. He felt like a hopeless failure. But because of the message of the angel and the encouragement of an angel, he rose up, became a leader, and they drove the Midianites out. When Jesus is in the garden praying, and he's, uh, he's struggling, and the trauma of the spiritual and the physical torture that is coming. He almost dies there. An angel comes and strengthens him and encourages him, says the scriptures. I've experienced that. Maybe you have too. You're, you're weary. You're discouraged. Life is just not going right in your own frailties and you're dealing with, with people who are difficult and, and you get this sudden burst of energy, just this certain encouragement. They deliver us from disaster. Acts 12.7 says Paul was, uh, says Peter was in prison. It says an angel of the Lord appeared, a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, woke him, said, get up quick. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist and the angel led him out of the prison, past the guards, past the, the locked doors. Angels can deliver us from disaster. Eddie Rickenbacker in World War II was shot down in the Pacific. For weeks, nothing was heard from him. Mayor LaGuardia of New York called the city of New York to pray for Eddie Rickenbacker. Thousands of people were praying. And when he was found, he told this story, quote, and this part I would hesitate to tell except that there were six witnesses who saw it with me. A gull came out of nowhere and lighted on my head. 
I reached up my hand very gently, killed it, and then we divided him equally among us. We ate every bit, even the small bones. Nothing ever tasted that good. A gull saved his life, and it was through that experience that he came to know Jesus Christ. Later, he told the evangelist Billy Graham, quote, I have no explanation except that God sent one of his angels to rescue us. God often delivers us as well. You say, well, does he always? No. Sometimes he lets us go through things to strengthen us and teach us and reveal himself to us. Sometimes our time is done and our race is run and, and it is our time. But with all this information, how am I supposed to relate to angels? It's the last question. You ought to like them. They're very likable. You should be grateful for them, but don't focus on them. You never find an angel pointing to himself. He's always pointing to the Lord. Focus on the Lord. At death, Jesus told a story of a man who died, Lazarus, and he says in Luke 16, 2, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. I wonder when you close your eyes the last time, you open them and there's an angel carrying you to the Father's side. I wonder if an angel might say, I've watched you all your life. I was there when you didn't know it. I was God's servant taking care of you, helping you, even though you didn't realize it. And I'm carrying you to the Father. And it's going to be my privilege for the rest of eternity to worship and serve God alongside you. And what would that be like? There's one thing angels don't understand. They don't understand how God could love people like me and like you. Enough to send his son to die on a cross. That's something they desire to look into and can't quite grasp. The great love of God that would cross such a divide to rescue us. You're listening to audio from The Orchard Church in Collierville, Tennessee. If you would like more information about our church or our ministries, please visit theorchardchurch.com.